The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dr. Jason Johnson is here doing a little dance. Hey, man, by the way, I never asked you this. Can you dance? Are you, are you, are you known? Not like, at all. When you do that, no. I was going to say, when you do that, I already got my answer. No. Did you start doing that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> like, is, is, is any of that in question? No, 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 no. no. I, I, I have mastered the dad dance, and I don't even have kids. So, that, like, that tells you what so my dancing skills are. That means you're ready then. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, dad, listen. I can't let Ooh, that get out there. <laughs> dad. Hey. hey. <laughs> Why not? Come on. Dad dumb comes in stages. It doesn't all just happen at the same time. Because once the once the kid oh, arrives, my God. you gotta Is put that, your total hit you in waves. Yeah, you know, but your total focus, yeah, it, it's in stages. I probably was ready to be a dad mm. eight years before I was actually a dad, right? I was ready eight years before. Gotcha. Because that's when you start having start having thoughts. And, and remember, I'll tell you a story. I, this was not even in my rundown, but I'll tell you, just it reminds me. One time, I went to this, uh, I went to this museum, the Museum of Science. Went to the Museum of Science uh, in, in Cambridge, and um, I went there, and they had this whole display on on childbirth and like the stages of childbirth. They like they're showing this in the Museum of Science. And I, I was single at the time. I went there, and they had this, uh, they had some monitor, and they're just showing it from, from conception, all the way through. And I caught myself watching it, and I started crying. I called my sister. I said, you know, I saw this thing, and I was crying. She said, "Boy, you ready to get married? Get married and have some kids." He's like, "You, you sitting <laughs> up in the museum?" He's like, that's, a, that's, "That's all I need to know." My big sister. My big sister said, okay, okay, this is enough. I don't want to hear about you crying in a museum. I, you know what? You probably, you probably should just have some kids. Anyway, that, Doc, I, I, I got to, I was thinking that, about that this. That is. Go ahead, go ahead. I, 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 I'm amazed ahead. by that because I suspect at this point, if, if, if I were to go by that display, uh, I, I'd probably be like, "Damn, this seems complicated." Like that. Would probably, I don't. I don't think I'd be in tears yet. I don't. I don't right. think I drive by t-ball fields and see kids playing and and and, and feel a flutter in my heart yet. I don't. I, I'm not at that stage. I'm not at that stage. Uh, but you know, I, I will. I'll bear that in mind. I'll bear that in mind. If I ever, right. if I well, ever see the full sort of conception thing in a museum, that's what I'm going to worry about. Well, I, I know we we do have a new streaming content producer, so maybe one of the things that she can do is is put your put your profile out there for the world to see. We need to put you on <laughs> on blast social media. He, uh, Jason Johnson, he's a doctor. He he don't just have one good job. He got multiple good jobs. Hey, uh, very eloquent, he got very five, eloquent nine man. Nine jobs. <laughs> you know, talks about he can talk about sports, politics, and Black Adam. We'll talk about that later. But anyway, you know, I want to start here, though. I want to start here. And since I mentioned Cambridge, Massachusetts already, uh, it's been said that there are 
two kinds of Harvard people, uh, Doc. There are two kinds of Harvard people. So some people you have to Harvard people. You have conversations with them. You say, hey, where'd you go to school? Uh, you know, I went to school in Boston. Oh, where in Boston? Oh, I love Boston. Yes. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's actually in Cambridge. No, where in, was it? Leslie University? Where is it? No, no, no. You got to drag it out of them that they went to Harvard. You got to right. drag it out. Pretty impressive. Right. Then there are people who will be like, yeah, you know, when I was at Harvard, you know, I went to Harvard, you know, me and my boys at Harvard and they tell you what house they were in and who their classmates were and the classes. They, every word out of their mouth is Harvard. So you got to wonder. I always thought Clay Thompson was the first kind of person, uh, the first kind of Harvard person. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I got credentials. I got credentials, but I'm secure in my own skin. I ain't got to just throw it out there to you. You know what's good. Last night, <laughs> I saw a different Clay Thompson, Doc. I mean, I love trash talking as much as anybody. I love it as much as anybody. But then, as he gets ejected, going back and forth with Devin Booker, he starts pointing at the rings and telling the bench, hey, mm-hmm. I got championships, and, and y'all don't. And, and a, a lot of times, I'll be like, okay, just have a little more subtlety. But I kind of want to do a character right. study. I, I, I want to psycho, uh, psychoanalyze Clay Thompson, and, and I land here. I think I understand. I kind of understand why he's like that now. Um... When you're a champion, people come at you. They come for you. And when you are a champion who is not what you used to be, but still pretty good, and people playing your position might look at you with a little bit of disdain. They ain't got the proper amount of respect right. that they should have. So you're like, hey, yes. I'm going to let you know. Wait a minute. You're a little too mouthy. You Maybe you, want, you made an all-star team. Maybe you're all NBA, but... You ain't got game six clay in you. So what's right. up? Right. Right. So I, I, I agree with you, Holly. Here's the other thing about it. It's like, it's not just sometimes you got to let them know, but there's sort of a difference in how you let people know. Right. And I'll go your example. Right. I'll, t- I'll take your Harvard example. I'll go the opposite direction. What I always learned, this has to do, I used to, I used to do a, a lot of work. I used to actually teach uh, guys who were coming out of being incarcerated, right? And I know a couple people who've mm-hmm. been incarcerated as different jobs and, and family and everything else like that. And here's what I always found was interesting is that guys who did real time, you never hear about it. I had a coworker <laughs> I worked with for three years. We were at lunch one day and he just casually mentions, yeah, I did seven years, blah, blah. I'm floored. I'm floored. This is one of the smartest, most brilliant guys. He did seven years in jail, like in his 30s. Right in his 30s, wow. never knew work with him for three years. But boy, oh boy, the guys who are talking about the pen and, and, and everything, they talk about criminal, they talk about crime all the time. Yeah, we were up a cell block, C, blah, blah. Those are the guys who did two months. Okay, those are the guys who did two months. Like the amount of time that people spend talking about their time in jail is directly related to how long they were actually in. If they're talking about it, they ain't do much real time. So, what do, what, how does that apply to Steph? I mean, how does that apply to Clay? Here's the thing Clay knows that he used to be the man, like you said. And he didn't have to say right. nothing when he was the man. He knew mm-hmm. that I'll let Steph be the star of this team, but I quite frankly yeah. could probably pull a lot of this off if I went to another team. But now that he knows he ain't the man, 
Now that he knows that the end of his career is much closer than the beginning of his career, he like that guy who did two months and got to tell everybody how hard he was in the middle of the yard, how many people he shanked, and how many deals he was cutting <laughs> with hacks. And I think, I think it's a sad sign. It's a sad sign. I like the silent clay. I like the silent killer. But hey, you know, father time catches up with us all, and that's the one person he ain't going to be able to out-dribble or out-shoot. Now I wonder if Natalie. Let's bring in Natalie. Uh, she knows about the. She knows more about the Warriors than a lot of people know about anything else. Uh, and so I would say, Natalie, the reason I'm on Clay's side in this conversation is because what he went through. I, I think he kind of he kind of saw his basketball mortality. He he actually touched it. It's like those people who have these outer body experiences, and then they come back. Ooh, I saw it. I saw what it was like in the afterlife. And, you know, I'm going to hold on here I for a little the bit sky. longer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and so he went through, he really did go through basketball hell. Looked like he was on his way back, got injured again, worked his way back. And now uh, in, in, that, in that season that he worked his way back, they happened to win a championship, and he had some moments where he looked like Clay. But it's his first career ejection. Natalie, that blows my mind. How do you explain what you saw from Clay last night? From afar, I know, but let's... Let's be observers. Let's use uh, let's use our, our powers of observation and our analysis <laughs> to figure it out. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is like an ongoing thing with Clay since he's returned. So no, he hasn't been ejected, but this sort of struggle that he's going through with who he is as a player now versus what he used to be before. And I don't think we know yet what, Clay is going to be, but we do know from Marcus Thompson's latest piece that he doesn't like when people say, are you going to return to the old Clay or be, you know, what's the new Clay? Like, he just feels like he's Clay. And obviously in his mind, he's determined to get back to who he was. Um, that's probably unlikely just because, you know, you're aging, you're different things. Like regardless of the injuries, he probably wouldn't have been who he was a few years ago. But that being said, I think there's a lot more that Clay can still give and he's just trying to get there. And I think that he the inability to just flip on a switch and do it like gets him frustrated and so he couldn't like do it in the game and so tensions got high him and booker have like a history not anything crazy but they go back and forth you know for a long time before booker kind of had this rise they were both like the two guards and you know some, there were some comparisons so like now booker is like you know, kind of like in hit hit his prime. He's like one of the top players in the league. And I'm sure Clay doesn't like that he's being overlooked. So I think there's some underlying things there. And he just got triggered. But I will just say as a fan of the team and someone who like follows them closely and kind of all the discussion on NBA Twitter, I find the Phoenix Suns fan base and, and just their entire organization oh. to be very arrogant for a team that hasn't done much. So Ooh, I think that also I wow. think that also is just wow. that went into the four rings. The fan base. Yeah, you said the organization. Hey, hey, Doc, she mm. said the organization and As the fan a staff base. label and a crew. <laughs> Yes, and <laughs> Wow. That's how they carry themselves. Like they've won something. Call out and the they whole haven't. Southwest. Can we get the whole just Southwest, them. please? Right. The whole right. <laughs> I think it's look. Hey, I think it's a commonality with Chris Paul led teams, but they kind of take on this persona. Ooh. And so like they're walking around like, hey, we've done something, although they laid down for Luca and the Mavs right in the second round. So like you haven't done anything. You didn't win in the in the in the um, 
Western Conference when you went there a couple of years ago and you got embarrassed in the second round. So pipe down, you're talking to four-time champions and you know, Ooh. I get it. Like they're going to be confident. Respect. Have some respect when you, when you enter they're the room. They're going to be cocky. Right? Like you, enter like, the I don't room with a little any, bit of reverence. Right, I don't expect any NBA player to be like, oh, I'm not as good as you, right? They have to have confidence and they all believe they're the yeah. best. But like, they're going to just remind you like, yo, come on. Like we're four-time champions, son, like relax. Yeah, I I, 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 I got to tell you, Natalie, <laughs> I'm a, a big fan. Love your work. And I'm not used to hearing people hate the way I hate. So I'm impressed by this because that was that was some Chris Paul hate. That was there's no insurance okay. coverage for the shots that you were shooting to him. That was that was vicious. <laughs> that was absolutely vicious. Now, I will say this about the Golden State Warriors. As good a team as they are and as amazing as they have been over these years, I have to say that of those four rings, one is due to Kyrie Irving's bulky knee and the other one belongs to Kevin Durant. So when they have to really go head to head with somebody, they tend to not do that well, i.e. LeBron and the block. But all that being said, Clay Thompson does have a more successful career than Devin Booker, and he has a reason to go at him. But again, the real king ain't got to say I'm the king. And it's a reflection of the fact that he knows he isn't what he used to be. He's never going to be what he's going to be again. And had they run against a remotely qualified team You're in the finals last year, it. they probably shouldn't have won that series either. So that's You're how I look it, at Doc. it. That's how I look at the Golden State go Warriors. Ahead. They took ahead, three rings off of LeBron. Like, I don't know what you mean, like, against LeBron. I would tell you that the only reason that LeBron won that series is because, as Stephen A says, they got a stimulus package. And also, like, Draymond Green got suspended. And we all know, whether y'all want to deny it or not, that Steph Curry was injured. We don't need to rehash 2016. It's been the Warriors League and specifically Steph Curry's League for the last several years. They've been to six of the last eight finals. You don't keep getting mm. there because there's all these issues issues like oh it's an injury or this team was out or that team was out like I could go back to the very beginning of the NBA finals and every year for every playoffs I could mm. put an asterisk on everyone so you're not going to do that to the Warriors they are the top dog I know a lot of people I have some issues with the light skins running the league but that is what it is okay where are we going to this colorism here I would not, Let's not go in there this, yes. this, this, this is yes. some intra-black violence is, oh. <laughs> it is only Wednesday. It is only Wednesday. I love this. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I, you know, I mean, if we're going to talk light skinned on light skin violence here. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, one like Clay Thompson was always the most like one of the most likable players in the league. Like everybody loves him, you know, for the most part. And he is. Yeah. So like, Dev, yeah. I'm just saying like, you know, Phoenix Suns, they're like, we work video and just always acting like they're ready champions. It wears on people. Like, just get there and do something first. And they just haven't done it yet. So, again, I think, again, I think, like, Clay was projecting a little bit. I think there was some other stuff behind the scenes. But that's all that is. And at the end of the day, Clay Thompson is a shooter. Kill a Clay. He's a shooter. That skill is not going anywhere. He's going to be around for a while. And you know what? I'd say this, and it's not yeah. just last night. It's not just it's not just Clay talking to Phoenix and maybe the arrogance of Phoenix without winning anything. Remember Clay last year they won the finals, and he now he's he's he's, he's checking his receipts. He's like, who's this cap from Memphis talking about strength and numbers? That's what we said, and they haven't won anything yet. So it's this, here's my takeaway. My takeaway from this, and it's this is going to change my sports arguments going forward when it comes to the NBA. I am going to call myself out, out. Uh, Natalie and Doc. I have gotten soft. I've gotten soft in my sports arguments over the years 
where I've said these things, some uh, mumbo jumbo about, hey, if a player doesn't win a championship, there are lots of factors there. Just because a guy hasn't won a championship doesn't mean he's not one of the all-time greats. No, 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 no. We're not doing that anymore. We're judging by championships. When we talk about the NBA, why? Because the players do it. Exactly. That's what they judge by. Exactly. And they go at it, and they and that's how Clay knows how to get under Devin Booker's skin. You got nothing to come back on me on that. Okay, you can say, hey, I'm all NBA. I got this. I'm better than you. What, what have you won, son? What have you won? There's no comeback. There's no clapback for it. And players do that all the time. If you watch the inside the NBA set uh, uh, on TNT, great show. Shaq and, Shaq and Barkley. Right. When they get heated, what Shaq do? That's why you never won. It's true. And it Even was sad. Kenny. I, I love this. And I mean, that, that, and Kenny too. That's fair. Hey, Kenny. Yep. You know That's what? I, fair. I, I, I love they this, do, Doc. They do it to Kenny. Uh, last thing I'll say, Doc, on this, and I'm going to pass it to you. It's been said, you'll love this story. It's been said that when uh, when they had dream team practices, these dream team practices, the original, 92, dream team, these practices were legendary. It was said that Jordan used to prevent Clyde Drexler and the mailman, Carl Malone, from being on the same team. He said, that team can't win because <laughs> they haven't won nothing. I ain't putting them on the same team in practice. Okay? So, players get into this. It, it, it matters. They do. They do. And, I mean, quite frankly, I don't think it was necessary at this particular point. I understand why he did it. I'll say this, and this is just me. I'm not a player. I'm a fan. I'm a supporter. I'm an analyst. Look at these things. I don't consider all rings equal. Real talk. Like, I never have. And when I look at championship-level teams, you could be a champion, you could be a Hall of Famer, and you could be a Pantheon guy. I don't really see anybody on the Warriors. I never have. There's tons of Hall of Famers. The Warriors have at least three Hall of Famers. I don't think they got a Pantheon guy yet. I'm sorry. I'm still put, I'm, I'm not putting Clay. I'm not putting Clay above LeBron, even though they played in the same era. He has never been, in my view, the best player in the league because he's not a two-way player. Clay, on the other hand, knows that he is just Steph. a Hall of Fame you player. Said, mean, I don't think mean, it's necessary Steph. for him to be that aggressive with Devin Booker. That's what I'm saying. You said you, you meant Steph. You said Clay, but you meant Steph. You said you're not yeah. putting Steph above LeBron. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm just going to no, yeah, say Ste- that. Yeah, Steph will never be above LeBron under any okay. circumstance because he's not a two-way player. He, he plays That's one half of the game. One half well, but there's this thing called defense, and he's basically been a turnstile throughout most of his career. That's how they lost that final. No, that's 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 no they lost that finals for reasons i've already stated but in terms of two-way mm. player and all these like new terms that people want to make up to disqualify stefan let me just say this for one the whole idea that, <laughs> because the whole idea that he hasn't been a defensive player or that he doesn't play defense in these turns out that is so antiquated like that tells me you have not been watching the games doctor and that you know that concerns me because I know that you know better <laughs> secondly um when it comes to though like impact we need to think we need to start reframing the way we think about the game right mm-hmm. and so like you ha- you're good if your team wins. I your see goalposts moving. Your in, no, no. Your impact on winning is how you should determine who's best. Like, why does it matter if 
let's say Kawhi Leonard is a better player or a better, let me say, a better defender than someone if he doesn't get as many wins. At the end of the day, if you get more wins with the player, you are the better player. It doesn't matter. And there is no doubt that the most impactful player, the one that's had the most impact on winning for the last several years is Stephen Curry by most advanced metrics, by when you look at the games, by you look at the number of wins they've had. Like, these arguments are ridiculous. Like, if he gets seven rings, you're telling me he can't be better than ring, than LeBron? That's silliness. It doesn't okay, make sense. Listen, no, uh, he wouldn't Jason, be better than Jordan either. Jason. No, not as an individual player. <laughs> well, LeBron is nowhere near Jordan, so that's fine. Jordan's the GOAT, right? right. And then but everything that's what I'm else like, after. Like, like, you can get a lot of rings. John Sally's got six rings. I wouldn't come say to John Sally. I mean, like, John it, Sally. Look, I don't, I've never thought, I've never thought that rings alone, I've never thought the rings alone were what made you the best player. And I never said Steph wasn't good. I say he ain't a Pantheon player. He He's is. not Kevin better Garnett than LeBron. Kevin Garnett was just on Over TV the calling him a top 10 overlap. player. Kevin Garnett was just on TV calling sorry, him a top I, I 10 did. player. And he's not a Pantheon? Like, the NBA players look at him like this. So no, we got no. to, like... Pantheon, Mount Rushmore is like four people. That's four people. Ain't room for Steph. Ain't room for Steph. Who's he going to take down? Who's going to take well, down? You going to take down Kareem? Go, no. But, like, we need to you going to take down Will? You going to take down Jordan? You going to take down LeBron? He's not better than I any of those four players. I mean, he's great. He can look up at Mount Rushmore, but he can't get That's on. career isn't over. Those Ooh. other guys are retired. So when you come back, I would love to talk to you about why he's going to make his case and ultimately be a top five player when he retires. By, by the way, by the way. Oh, when they um, add an extra face uh, on Mount Rushmore? Because right now it's only got four. <laughs> he can I, I want to say uh, Natalie, meet Jason. Jason, meet Natalie. I think you guys are going to get along famously. <laughs> <laughs> It is, it is I can't too long. I'm it's, so sorry. It is family. I love it. So look, Nat Natalie, I wanted to have you a part of this conversation. And and Doc, you're gonna see a lot more of Natalie. Uh, she is on board. She is a. I'm excited. She is a member of the. I'm crew. excited. She is a member of the crew. I'm excited. So nice as well. to meet you. My mom is a big fan of you, Doctor Jason. So love you. Oh, thank you oh, so much. And, uh, thank you so much. And mom's gonna be texting me like, what? What what happened with that? What y'all? You gotta say, mom, it's no, no, no. It's cool, mom. We're good. Maybe they you got no home a... training. Watch argue. <laughs> Why are you talking to that man like that? Hey, listen. This is what we do. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. How close are you? We hear people talk about, like, different players about their team oh we're really close even though they may be losing some games okay we're close we're almost there we just got to figure it out do you feel like you guys are close and it's just one player here or there it's definitely not just one player here or there like i said it's you know 20 percent of the time if if we have 50 plays and we have 10 mental uh missed assignments or mental errors that's 20 percent of the time so that's way too high you know in the past we're looking more like at uh you know less than 10 percent so it gives us, you know, a really good chance to be successful. 20%, that's too high. You know, that's, you know, that's a, you know, one play a series where you're really 
making it tough on yourself. So we got to fix that. And whatever that is, I think, you know, guys who are making too many mistakes shouldn't be playing. You know, we got to got to start cutting some reps. And maybe guys who aren't playing, uh, give them a chance. Woo! That was uh, Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show, and all I could uh, focus on was McAfee trying to do the math when he said 10 out of 50 was 20% McAfee <laughs> start doing like this to figure out to check his work. Uh, Robert Mays never have to check his work. One of the best, uh, smartest voices on football. So, Robert, when you hear Aaron Rodgers say this, hey, some guys need to have their reps cut and stop playing, what's your takeaway after you look at the 3-4 and four Green Bay Packers? Uh, it makes me think about how good it was for Green Bay and for Packer fans and everybody associated with the organization that it was going well for the last couple of years. Because if it hadn't been, I wonder how quickly this would have happened previously. You know, I always thought that the marriage between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers was fascinating because it was kind of a tenuous relationship at the beginning. He was asking Aaron to do a lot of things maybe Aaron wasn't super comfortable with within the structure of the offense. And when they eventually kind of came to a resolution and a harmonious place in year two, it led to him winning two MVPs back to back. And now that it started to erode a little bit, I feel like some of that tension has started to creep back into this. And I wonder where it goes from here. It all feels a little rocky and a little shaky, the ground that we're walking on right now. Robert, I, I, I got to add this because when I look at what's happening with Aaron Rodgers right now, I'm seeing this sort of larger trend. I'm seeing that whole generation of players. Russell Wilson's having a bad year. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is having a bad year. Uh, you know, Matty Ice has been put on ice. You got Tom Brady having problems. Of these four guys, which of them, I mean, which of them, because I, I think two of them probably won't be playing next season, but which of them do you think have a chance to turn it around maybe later on this season or maybe next year? Because right now, across the board, it looks like we're seeing the end of a generation of quarterbacks uh, that have pretty much led the league both in interest and in winning for the last decade. I feel like if you look at the way Brady is playing right now, he looks uncomfortable just physically, the way he's moving in the pocket, the way he's playing the position from a mechanical standpoint doesn't look like Tom Brady. And I don't know if that means we're on the slow decline to that never coming back. It's possible. You know, how many times have we had this conversation? We're like, mm -hmm. well, the cliff is probably coming for Tom Brady. It comes for everybody. And it comes faster than you think every single time. But Brady's always been able to stave it mm -hmm. off. So is there enough physical decline now because he wasn't maniacally interested in the preparation process this offseason and throughout the way he has been in the past? That wouldn't be shocking to me at all. With Rodgers, I don't think it's physical, and that's why I think that there's a chance this can bounce back. It just looks like there isn't total buy-in to playing within the structure of the offense. You know, some of the stuff that when he's reading out certain concepts or making certain decisions, it's not as crisp as you want it to be. And I think removing Devontae Adams from that equation is part of it. You know, you look at what the Packers were with Devontae over the last couple of years. The decision-making was incredibly simplified because of Devontae. I was looking up some numbers before I came on and I thought this was fascinating. Devontae Adams last year was 11th in the number of targets he got out of the slot. Okay, that makes sense. He's a good player. He was 53rd in the amount of snaps that he had from the slot. Think about the gap there. Wow. When he was in the wow. slot, they threw him the wow. ball. 
And yeah. in, against man coverage right. last season, more than a third of his routes against man coverage, he was targeted last year. So that's when we're talking about simplifying, that simplifies it. If you put him in the slot, the ball's going his way. If yeah. you play man against us, the ball's going his way. Right. Those simplifying buttons aren't there anymore. So the game is more complex in the way that Rodgers has to read it out. And I think that he's just a little frustrated and disinterested in leaning into that complexity right now. And I think that's why we've arrived in this point with the Packers offense. And how about Russell Wilson? I know, Jason, uh, you have been all over Russell. You're a Russell Wilson guy. Uh, on the field, you're and all over Russell Hackett. Wilson, off and the, all over Hackett. Uh, off the field. <laughs> Do you think, has Russell Wilson lost it, Robert? Is it the scheme? Like, what do you see there? I think that there is a little bit of Russell Wilson just losing whatever his fastball used to be. And Russ was so reliant on his ability to make out of structure plays early in his career. That was so much of the magic of what Russell Wilson was that athleticism at 34 years old, Russ and I are about the same age. It declines and you lose it faster than you think you would. And I think that's where we are with Russ. There's none of that second reaction improvisational aspect to his game. And the other magic and the other kind of superpower that he had, you watch those moon ball deep balls that he had in Seattle with those receivers and their ability to push the ball down the field that has now declined and started to deteriorate. So if you're going to take away those two aspects to Russell Wilson's game, he's never been somebody that was reading things out well and making decisions based on the structure of the defense and what was there with the play. The, the offense that Russell Wilson plays in has traveled with Russell Wilson, no matter who the offensive coordinator was in Seattle. And then now in Denver, it's hard to put him within the structure and rigidity of a normal NFL offense. And if you're going to not have the superpowers anymore, that's a recipe for disaster. See, I would argue, you know, Batman has powers without being superpowered. It's just the equipment and Alfred working with him. You look at the first six games of Russell Wilson last year with Shane Waldron, they were playing fantastic. They only lost those games because they had bad defense. What I seem to be seeing right now with Hackett is an absolute inability to structure anything. I mean, when Russell Wilson was out of the game, it was only a four-point difference. The guy he's working with right now doesn't know how to coach. And when I see how close many of these games have been at the end, no, obviously Russell Wilson can't run at 34 the way he could at 22 or 23 years old. But it's not that he has the inability to play. You have someone who is so over their skis in coaching that he can't structure something when you have two fantastic, at one point, two fantastic running backs and halfway decent receivers, I don't expect the moon ball to be there. He's not throwing to Tyler Lockett. Jerry Judy is dropping, look, Jerry Judy drops balls like, like, like Drake drops albums, right? Like every other time, he's just not catching it. But at the end of the day, rather than figuring out how to coach what talent you have, it looks to me like a situation where the coach doesn't know what he's doing. I feel like situationally, it's been a disaster there, right? It goes back to week one. Their inability to make fourth down decisions, clock management, all of that. The structure of the offense, I, I don't think there are that many issues with that compared to the game management stuff. The perfect example to me is early in that game against the Chargers on Monday Night Football. He has a tight end sitting over the ball, wide open, and it's like he's not even there. And that happens often with Russell Wilson. If you look at heat charts, just the way that areas that Russell Wilson accesses the field, that part of the field is off limits right. to Russell Wilson. And so that's the difficult part. If you're going to remove parts of the field, if you're going to remove the improvisational stuff, if he's going to struggle to push the ball down the field, what are you left with? And I think that is the problem that the Broncos are staring down right now. 
and, and the Broncos. I will are say this before we go problem. to Matt Ryan. Oh, no, go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Doc. Yeah, I, I, I will say this before we go to Matt Ryan. If you notice, Geno ain't really thrown to the middle of the field either, right? I mean, that 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 may just have to be an overall sort of structural thing. You got to have the kind of talent. You have to have the kind of tight ends. You have to kind of have the guys that are running across the middle. But I'll, I'll also ask you this. Matt Ryan has now been benched, right? This is the probably the end of the road. And the Colts are 3-3-1. Three, three and one. They're not out of it. They're certainly not out of it in their division. What do you think is the logic behind benching him after just giving him a new contract when the Titans are still in the playoff hunt? I think they're looking at the rest of their offense and understanding that they need someone who can operate in imperfect conditions. For whatever Sam Ellinger's defaults are and his limitations are as a passer he can move around and the offensive line that they're trotting out in indianapolis right now you can't have a statue back there it's just a recipe for disaster and that's exactly what they've placed matt ryan into and when frank reich earlier this week came out and said we didn't hold up our end of the bargain that's exactly right what they promised matt ryan when he was coming to indianapolis is the league's best running game from last year which it was and an offensive line that is supposed to be the strength of this team. It's the most expensive offensive line in the NFL. So the fact that they can't protect an already immobile quarterback who's getting into his upper 30s is not surprising. So it just feels like Sam Ellinger is an opportunity for them to at least survive with terrible pass protection, even if he's not the quarterback Matt Ryan is from a processing perspective, just being able to operate the position the same way. You know, I wonder, and, and you bring up uh, Matt Ryan, Doc, and, and uh, I wonder about this, Robert. You know, we look at it, we, we all, we're football fans, and we're looking at all the nuances of the game, the game itself, without uh, considering the business aspect of it enough and the locker room aspect. I wonder what guys in the locker room are saying about Matt Ryan, who hasn't been great, but that's been good, Matt Ryan being benched for somebody who he's a better he's a better player than that guy and they all know it and part of the reason he's being benched I mean some of his performance but most of it is money because if he keeps playing they're gonna have to guarantee portions of his contract they don't want to guarantee so I I just wonder how that goes down in a locker room and sometimes we say well why wasn't that team ready to play or that team didn't reach its potential it's like any other workplace when you feel like the bosses are doing some shady stuff, maybe you don't perform like you should You should perform either. It just feels like they've been chasing solutions for so long now. You know, when they traded for Carson Wentz last year and then that just completely disintegrates by the end of the year and the relationships disintegrate and they'll do anything to get him out of the building. And then they bring Matt Ryan in. And if you look at what was happening at the offensive line over the first five games this year, they're cycling between different lineups and different solutions and is this going to work is this going to work and they, they're just scrambling right now they're scrambling for any possible answer and this just feels like the next step in that and it's amazing how fast this has fallen apart because i think two years ago when philip rivers was there that what you're trying to sell to matt ryan that argument of you're walking into a really good situation a really good supporting cast that was true Two years ago, they did have one of the best offensive lines in the league. They did have an up-and-coming group of receivers. They did have a really well-constructed offense. And now you look at it, all of that is gone. 
and it's only been two seasons and it just lends me to ask like, where does this go from here where where do they go with frank yeah. reich where do they go with the front office it, it's just gotten so bad so fast there and even if you weren't totally bullish on the matt ryan experiment and it being the next kind of stage of the quarterback roulette that they were playing i still didn't expect it to look like this He, he I kind of feel man. like looks- it, it's not just. Yeah, he he looks bad. I mean, when when I look at when I look at the totality of it, I think Ryan looks bad, but he didn't look great the last couple of years in Atlanta. I don't think you sold the. I don't think you sold the locker room. Getting later year Philip Rivers is like, hey, this guy's going to get Hall of Fame votes. I can get it. I, I would have been more enthusiastic about late year Philip Rivers than I would have been about getting Matt Ryan. Carson Wentz, we always knew was going to be a gamble. I, I also think, and I'm curious you know, what you sort of think about this, Robert, This, I, I think also what this year demonstrates with Wilson, with Matt Ryan, is we can, we can finally dead this hot take that all you have to do is plug and play with quarterbacks. I think there was sort of this myth that after Brady goes to Tampa Bay, it's like, oh, all you need is somebody. And then after you put Pat Statford, uh, you know, on the Rams, oh, all you need is a quarterback. No, you actually need to have a functional team. It ain't just putting somebody in the driver's seat. And I think we might see the end of some of these big blockbuster trades for these aging quarterbacks because they're going to recognize, hey, these guys can't plug and play. If you don't have a good coach, if you don't have a good scheme, if you don't have good uh, uh, sort of teammates and situations around them, you're not necessarily going to march your way to a Super Bowl. I think that's a very good point. I, I, I look at it a couple different ways. I do think that having that guy who can elevate your offense when the play is wrong, the play call is wrong, the play caller isn't necessarily right, that's really important. What Matthew Stafford for do, could do for the Rams and the literal expansion of their passing game because Matthew Stafford was there is the reason that they won the Super Bowl last year. It was hugely important, but they also had the best pass protection in the league. If you look at it, the ways that they could play, all of that empty and all of that drop back stuff that they were trying to do, they could mm. do that because they had excellent offensive line play last season. So it's always a little bit of the chicken or the egg. I would put the Matt Ryan thing and the Russell Wilson thing in two very different buckets. The Matt Ryan move is out of desperation and convenience. They traded for Matt Ryan because it fell into their laps. They had no other solution at quarterback. They moved on from Carson Wentz before they had another answer. And I think they were willing to wait out and play out the string. And Matt Ryan just happens to be the one that ended up there. Russell Wilson, that is the sort of Matthew Stafford move that we're talking about. That's looking at the quarterbacks you have saying, these guys aren't good enough. If we go get an elite quarterback, can it lift everything else up? The problem in that one isn't the move to get an elite quarterback. It's that they traded for a guy who's no longer elite. That's the issue. Ooh. It's a problem in misevaluation, and it's a problem in understanding the move that you're making and the player you're making it for. Ooh. Because that's what Russell Wilson is right now. He's not one of those guys okay. anymore. And I think that's the problem. Hey, I, all right, listen, I'm, I'm like, hey, hey, Doc, I'm like, hey, this is it. Last word. Go ahead, because I know now <laughs> you, we, we had Doc versus Natalie. Now we're going to have Doc versus Robert. Because, Robert, you don't understand. You just went into – it was like – it was nice, neutral. It was it was Geneva. You had Geneva for a second until – I was being fair. You mentioned Russell Wilson, no longer elite. And now we've got a battle. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Last word. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. I pull out the howitzer and, and both katana blades. I'm going to simply say this. He's not playing like an elite athlete right now. He is not. 
I'm not questioning. I'm not crazy. I don't have rose color. I don't have orange colored. I don't have Let's Ride or Go Hawks color glasses on right now. No question about that. He's also been uncharacteristically injured. The shoulder injury put Dak Prescott out for a month. Now he's got the hamstring injury. These are not things that we've seen with Russell Wilson. These are things that happen with age. But I don't think we can fairly evaluate him at this particular point when you have a coaching staff that is this bad. Nathaniel Hackett might arguably be the worst coach in the NFL. I have never seen a situation where two weeks into the season, a coach had to hire another coach in order to hold his bib while he looks at the clock to figure out how to play. I don't care what circumstances or what you fail to understand after several seasons of playing on Madden that you have an offense that is dead last in the league in red zone efficiency. That is play calling. If you're able to move up and down the field but can't score that play calling and to have only scored five points in all the third quarters through seven games and two of those points was a safety that's on the coach I don't think we can make a final assessment as to where Russell Wilson is until he gets a competent coaching staff and there's no loyalty to Nathaniel Hackett because he was hired by the last regime we might not know if he's really done until next season I'm willing to wait it's hard to extricate quarterback play from the circumstances around a quarterback. It's one of the most difficult things you have to do when you're watching and evaluating football. But there have been several moments this year where he's just making bad decisions. It has nothing to do with the structure of the offense, yeah. with the play call. You look at the last play against the Colts, that slant is open for a touchdown. You want more red zone touchdowns, throw the ball to the guy who's open in the red zone. And that's happening yeah. consistently where there are decisions being made. Like, what are you looking at? And whether that's a lack of trust in what the offense looks like or what the play calling is, that may be a factor. But he right now, if you're trying to isolate those factors, he is not making the correct decisions based on how plays are unfolding. And at a certain point, some of that or most of that has to go on to the quarterback. Ooh. All right. I to would say continued. that most of that has oh, to fall oh. on your coach. But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, to be continued. So we got... Doc Johnson, to be continued, Robert Mays. Great stuff, Robert, as usual. We got Doc Johnson, to be continued, Natalie. <laughs> what else are you going to do today, Doc? What else? I'm, apparently, I'm just picking fights with everybody. I'm just picking fights with everybody. That's what I do. I'm trying, I'm trying to introduce you to people, and you come in. I'm throwing, I'm throwing wine in people's faces. I'm putting, my, I'm putting my kicking my feet up on the couch. <laughs> Eddie can get another couch. <laughs> no, happy to do Eddie it. Can get I'll talk to you guys couch. later. All right, Robert, thank you. See you guys thank later. You. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Doc Johnson, my wife begged me not to talk about Kanye. She said, please don't talk about Kanye in your show. Please just, just, don't, just don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Please don't. But it's in the news. <laughs> uh, and the headline here says Kanye may have finally reached the point of no return. You tell me, has he reached that point and why? Uh, the life of Pablo is coming to an end. Look, here's the thing. If there were an Olympic competition in bag fumbling, he has won for decades. 
for, for, for you to have, this is worse than like how you get fired on your day off, right? How you lose half your net wealth in one week without going to Vegas. But he has clearly been gambling with his reputation. He has been gambling with the reputation and profits of other companies. And these are the kinds of things that happen. Holly, I say this all the time, whether you're playing a professional sport, whether you're an actor in any particular profession, the moment that you are affecting other people's ability to make money, they will cut ties with you, right? Yeezys ain't shelling the way they used to. Amen. Nobody was into Amen. Donda the way that he wanted the album to go. I'm just saying, you know, like, so when you're not selling the way you used to, why would anybody maintain a relationship with you? Kanye has done all of this to himself. I think it's, I think it's gross. I think it's strange. But watching himself destruct, and I, I don't want to say this because I think I'm going to be very careful and nuanced about this. This is not a commentary on anyone's mental health. Right? I'm not a psychologist. I'm making no assessment of his mental health. I'm saying Kanye, the individual, and whoever else happens to be in Kanye Inc., is not behaving in a way that makes sense given the damage that he's causing himself. And that's his own problem. All right, good. Let's move on. Let's talk uh, as if we haven't talked about politics already to a degree with Kanye West. Uh, it's political season here. We got midterms, November 8th. Uh, big deal here. What do you see as we approach midterms? Uh, I mean, my, my assessment remains the same. I think that you've got a situation where Republicans probably take the House, even though the latest polls show the Democrats are improving in the congressional ballot. You got more and more Democratic seats. You got Johanna Hayes up in Connecticut, uh, you know, a, a great member of CBC, African-American woman, former teacher of the year. She's now in a toss-up race. You've got too many safe Democrats who are in toss-ups for me to believe they're going to keep the House. As for Dr. Oz and Fetterman last night, I'm going to tell you this, and I keep saying this all the time about debates. Nobody watches debates, okay? Republicans watch debates in order to have confirmation bias. Democrats watch debates like they're sports. But you know what regular people do? They don't watch the debates. They watch the highlights, like on like, like the post-sport show. That's all they're paying attention to. Yeah. And what were the highlights they saw from the debate? Fetterman stumbled a bit, and Dr. Oz says something crazy about abortion. That race ain't changing just because he stumbled last night. So, and, and my, my quick question, a follow-up for you. You had a great feed item last week. You said these polls ain't loyal. If the polls ain't loyal, who is loyal? <laughs> I mean, they're only loyal in different area codes because uh, I've got polls in different area codes that I trust more than national polls. Okay. If you want to look at what's happening in Georgia, look at a poll conducted by say Emory University. They're going to know yeah. and have a better idea as to what the demographics are. But ultimately, and this is the thing you got to remember, sports and politics are not the same thing. Sports is all about predictions and guesses. Politics is about turnout and structure and environment and mm. feeling. And those things aren't always applying. You got to go out and vote anyway, because you literally have no idea who's going to win until the votes are counted. But I got to tell you this. It's going to be election month, not election day. It's just a story that broke yesterday talking about several counties in Nevada because of crazy Republican election deniers. They have no voting machines, so they're hand-counting ballots in several counties in Nevada. 67,000 wow. voters hand-counted. It's going to take weeks for us Woo! to find out how some of these races go. All right. Uh, you know what? Let's talk, uh, let's talk some sports, but also politics as well. Magic and Kareem. Gary, uh, go ahead and play the sound. How do you think Kareem's going to take when, when LeBron finally passes him? Because for the longest time, I don't think, me personally, I don't think Kareem gets the credit that he deserves. Oh, no. As a six-time MVP, 
and six championship, the all-time leading scorer, third uh, uh, leading rebound of all time. I don't think he gets nearly enough credit. That's right. But he's always been able to hang his hat on, I'm the all-time lead scorer. Exactly. Uh, now, people don't talk about the number two. No. People don't talk about the number two score. No. They don't talk about the number two assist man. <laughs> they, 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 the number two rebounder. That's the number right. two, The number two block shot. Nobody cares about number two. It's number one. Mm-hmm. How do you think he will handle that? Well, I, I don't think well. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. If I got to say it, we got to be honest. Right. You know, um, and the fact that it's a dude playing for the Lakers, right. too. Right. You know, it's a dude playing in L.A. Right. You know, so um, I think it'll be a hard pill to swallow. He eventually. Because he's uh, had that record for almost 40 years, Kareem. And, and I mean, I, imagine. And I think he thought he was going to have it forever. <laughs> yeah. So, no, yeah. I think he thought he was going to have it forever. Ooh, 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 what do we see here? What do we see here, Doc? Uh, and, I, and I'm not surprised. It's just like, I would have I would have said that, but it's more interesting to hear Magic say it. We all we all thought that, but to hear Magic right. say it really puts a different spin on it. Uh, what do you see there, Doc? And also the fact that LeBron himself has come out and said he has no relationship with Kareem. Right? Like, that's not right. just he ain't happy. There's some iciness there. There's, there's, there's some discomfort yeah. about that. Look, let's be honest. And I yeah. said this earlier, said this earlier, we're talking about Natalie. The Mount Rushmore is still the same. It's Wilt, Kareem, Jordan, and LeBron. So, you know, it's not as if Kareem's overall status in the history of basketball is going to be damaged by what LeBron ends up doing. What I find interesting, though, is that even Kareem has sort of implied, I mean, maybe I'll be there when he wins the record. I don't know. I ain't sure one way or another. It's that kind of pettiness that has actually marred Kareem's post-basketball career. Remember, even though there's lots of criticisms about winning time, his attitude, his surliness, and his general curmudgeonly nature, that has had as much an impact on Kareem's post-basketball career as anything else and this is another example of it, even if Magic is the one telling us. I'll just point out before we get to the last part, because I've been looking forward to your Black Adam review. On your Mount Rushmore, I did not hear the name Bill Russell, but I understand that's because Bill Russell is the mountain. He ain't on Mount Rushmore. He (laughs) is the freaking mountain. So how dare you? How dare you? You will have a fight with me now. 11 championships in 13 years. 11 and 13. Come on, bro. And you know what? He played in the same era as Wilt. He got five MVPs playing in the same league that Wilt did. He wasn't just a defensive specialist. was an MVP as well. All right, tell me about Black Adam. Black Adam. I'm just going to say Black Adam was an absolutely not great movie. (laughs) I texted Holly. For y'all to know, I texted Holly and Michael after I left the theater. It wasn't terrible, but man, it was not a good movie. And when you look at the numbers of how this movie did, dropped like $67 million. They tried to spin it. They're like, oh, yeah, this is The Rock's best opening. Give me a break. It barely made more money than Shazam. And when you consider the level of talent in the film, it should have been a much better, much more engaging kind of movie. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. If you just want some superhero fare, go watch it. The relationship between Aldous Hodge and Hawkman and Pierce Brosnan and Dr. Fate is the best part of the movie. I would have watched a buddy cop film with them for two and a half hours before I watched basically The Rock play DC's version of Drax the 
Destroyer from Guardians of the Galaxy. I saw so many different things that were clearly lifted and pilfered from other Marvel movies over the last couple of years. I thought I was watching a clip special from the 1980s. It was a highly, highly disappointing film given the level of talent and the special effects that were there. Will you be mad if you spend $20 to go see it? No. Would you be better yeah. off saving that $20 and going seeing Wakanda Forever in a couple weeks? I say yes. You know what? I want to see the filmmakers clip that. You know, the blurb. I want a blurb of that. There's so many blurbable bars that you just dropped there about a black cat. Like, where do I start? Doc Johnson, always a pleasure, man. Hey, you got to come back soon, right? You got to come back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.